Welcome to the Faith-Based Business Podcast with your host, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. On this podcast, we interview fellow entrepreneurs who are willing to share their stories, their trials, and their triumphs in business, all in an effort to help you avoid the same obstacles and to achieve success faster. But at all times, continue to rely on our faith to see us through to victory. Now with today's guest, here is your host, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello everyone everywhere, Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Faith-Based Business Podcast. Praise God, we're so blessed that you're joining us today. As we witness the continuous degradation of our society, one thing that continues to catch news headlines is the rampant violent crime happening all over America right now, mainly in our inner cities, but it's not exclusive to those cities. You know, teenagers taking guns into school, elementary kids taking guns into schools, kids killing kids over things that used to just be resulting in fistfights. Now they settle it with guns. Add to that the ever-increasing allure of money and fame by so-called music icons whose lyrics does nothing but promote violence and things like that. Well, Brother Bob, that's just the culture. You know, the music reflects what's happening in the streets. Well, my response is, why is it happening to begin with? What has caused us to accept this as normal? Take just one city, for example. In America, we have the city of Chicago. Do you realize there's been more murders there over the last 10 years than the military experienced in their 10 years in Afghanistan? Think about that. But yet, that's just normal. Here in Baltimore, Whenever there's a brazen daylight shooting, inevitably during the news interview, someone's going to say something to the effect of, well, that's just the way it is living in Baltimore. Why have we accepted this as normal? What can be done about it? What are some of the personal ramifications that others experience besides the victims and the perpetrators? Our guest today is Michelle Jackson. I've known Michelle for several years now. She's an author and a podcast host. She has just released her long-awaited book, A Prisoner's Pardon, at about the time you are listening to this episode. I did an interview with her recently, which you can find on the KCR podcast as episodes 1294 and 1295, where we discussed her companion book, The Pharaoh's Butler and Baker, The Unknown Power of Forgiveness. Today, though, we are focusing on her new book, A Prisoner's Pardon. Help me welcome back to the program, my good friend, Michelle Jackson. Michelle, it is so great to have you back on today. Oh, wow. I'm so happy to be here, Pastor Bob. I'm very happy to be here. I'm so excited about the about the new release of Amen. the book. Amen. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And, and for those that may have missed our prior interview, can you tell us in your own words, who is Michelle Jackson? Well, um, I go by the pen name C.C. Sky. And... I was a former energy analyst for a gas company here in the Wisconsin area, and I recently retired because I wanted to pursue my passion in writing and just follow a mission I believe God has given me to do to reach the the lost, to reach those that's in darkness and don't accept um, what we are accepting now in our co- culture as norm, just like you yeah. said, because that bothered me all while I was growing up. Why do why are we keep it accepting this? What is the answer? So this has been my um, passion and why I write the way I write and what I write, so that we can find those answers. 
Amen. Amen. And, and you know, your your twin brother has been in and out of prison his whole life. But mm-hmm. as I just said in the opening, his incarceration does not only affect him, but everyone around him as well, correct? Yes, yes. When I when we were growing up, my twin brother and I, it's always was asked, like, where is he at? And because I had to answer, it always was brought to my attention. I started to wonder why and started actually analyzing him earlier than I, than I was aware of, asking him questions and um, uh, talking to my mother about it. And if you grew up in, um, you know, the household with the older people, they always go back to the stories and, you know, like, oh, he's like cousin so-so or uncle such and such, you know, it's always one of those in the family, but it wasn't answering, <laughs> you know, the yeah, question yeah. for me growing up there. And it's, and it was like, you had to rearrange everything for them. Like it it became like what you see now in society and culture that the ones that's perpetrating the crime, the person, the victims uh, are more accountable. They make the victims more accountable than the perps, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, that was actually done in my household as well. So, you know, I understand it in this little microcosm and that's what the whole book is about you know, showing it in a microcosm, what's really happening in a, a large scale and growing up in Chicago, this has been happening. You know, what's going on is like, wow, this is, this book needs to be out so people can see what's going on. Yeah. And, you know, someone, my dad was in and out of prison half of his life as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, I was basically raised by my grandparents hmm. most of my life broken up by a couple of years where I'd be back with him as he was out and then he'd be back in. So I'd be back with my grandparents. When he got out, I went back with him, you know, Mm -hmm. that happened like three times, but, uh, yeah. Share a little bit about how this affects the family a little bit. You know, um, I talk about it a lot in the book and this is going to give you anybody a good insight into a family that deals with this that you, what you normally wouldn't see. And it's it's a big financial burden. It's an emotional burden. Uh, my mom was going through guilt. Like if there's something else she could have done, um, I was always trying to fix them. And when they're doing that, all attention is on them. Nobody else exists. And you're not trying to deal with any other issue, but that issue, because it's so in your face. And it's it's really devastating for the whole family. It's not just, you know, they talk about victims of the perps being like who they committed the offense against, but not, they don't, uh, we don't see the family going through all the heartache, you know, all the um, emotional struggle that you go through, um, that you have a loved one out there that keeps doing that. And then you have to, it's an embarrassment, you know, too is you know we have to go into those facilities and we are a lot of times we get treated as like criminals as well because we're coming to visit them and it's it's the whole experience it's like you the family goes to jail right with them so true now in your book a prisoner's pardon this is basically a reflection of your journal entries why did you choose that format to write this book because you know, it gives an insight 
into the characters more specifically than just showing the um just writing the story it it tells you behind what happened behind the scenes and why i come to the conclusion it makes it more real cuz you know you can people can easily more identify to a actual event that happened and have it um being unfolded from a journal entry and um and with me i in writing i express myself way more than if i was just being interviewed by you or or, any, or anybody else when i'm journaling everything comes out everything <laughs> that stuff i don't even realize that i have going on inside my head so and that was one of the first things that caught my attention was you know wow these are like you know, not daily journal entries. I'm, I'm sure you just picked out the pertinent ones mm-hmm. put in the book. But uh, I was like, this is like giving an insight into your thoughts, your emotions, your feelings. And it, it, it's just like laying it bare for everyone to read. Yeah, that's um, I'm excited about the book being out. But then again, I'm not so excited that. It's like everybody's going to know me now, but uh, including my own family. And, um, you know, it, it can be a little bit embarrassing, but, you know, um, I had to come to the c- conclusion that the story isn't really about me. It's what God can do through me. Yeah. Um, it's really his story. Yeah. Amen. Amen. You know, there's been numerous prison reform programs passed by various levels of legislatures, you know, over the years. And in your opinion, why don't these programs work? Um, because it's only it's only dealing with the outside and it's not hitting what's going on the inside of a person because the person needs to have an inner transformation. Cause I saw it happening with my brother and others like him. It's not about resources, but, and, you know, regardless of what you hear out here all the time, oh, they're not, they don't have any jobs. You really have to pour more money into this and that, but that's not true. Um, it's really the person themselves that they have to conquer, I would call demons or whatever that's in them, because it doesn't matter what the resources are. They, If you are determined, if you have the right motivation through I believe, the grace of God and you can it don't take much. You can actually start seeing changes uh, right away with the opportunities, with what's around them. It doesn't matter what's around. They can always do the changes, but they can't see that until they change from the inside. So right now they're keep focusing on the outside and that's really, that's not priority. You know, you can make some changes, of course, you know, you can make things better, but it's not going to be lasting change that what's needed. You have to change the person on the inside first before any of those I call programs work. Otherwise it's just a waste of money. Yeah. Amen. Amen. You know, you've done a lot of research for your book in the area of the decline of the family in the black community. Share some of the things that you've discovered in writing this book. Oh yeah. I got some, some doozies. Uh, Of course we'll talk about, um, you know, the great society brought in by um, Johnson um, in the 60s, and it's supposed to help the poor Americans, mostly Blacks, because we were not that long out of um, slavery. And what I found was looking at the stats, 
it actually um, harmed the family because of the welfare system. It actually had it where the father couldn't be in the home in order for the mother to receive benefits. That was one of the biggest hits, I believe, for the Black family was the welfare is the welfare system and how it's set up. Um, another one is, um, I call it Planned Parent in the Hood, <laughs> because that started to um, actually take the rights away from parents. And the kids started to look to the government as the daddy, you know, so you took the father out and then you replaced the father, the government replaced itself as the father, you know, on paper and things that I didn't even know came into effect until things happened, and which I mentioned in the story, you know, going through uh, my daughter, my daughter's journal and how they, you know, wanted to move to Indiana, you know, they have, they got free medical, they got section eight, they get phones, they get all this. So what's the, you know, what's the incentive for them to go to school if you're going to give them free everything? And I look like the bad person. Again, I became the perp again, I, I, I say, because I'm saying, no, you need to study and go to school, you know, so that you can be able to take care of yourself and not Uncle Sam. So that some of those things really, um, it caused the family um, to be deteriorated. Yeah. You know, I was listening to a radio interview driving several days ago and the expert they had on was attributing a lot of the youth violence we've been seeing and experiencing basically several factors, but the one he kept coming back to was no authority figure in the family. And that's what you're alluding to here. Yeah. And he said that the mothers, you know, when, when they got a, you know, two, three year old and they're raising the boy, you know, she's the authority figure right there. But when he hits his teenage years and that testosterone starts kicking in and the growth spurts start happening and he's starting to bulk up a little bit, there comes a point when the mother can no longer invoke a sense of fear and retribution in the boy, but actually begins to fear him a little bit. Cause you know, that testosterone makes them lash out and they're angry and all that. And she actually begins to fear him. Have you seen yep. or discovered any oh. information in that area? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that happened. And I describe it in a book as well. You know, and I describe my mother's discipline as a passing rain shower, whereas when my father was home, it was thunder and lightning. <laughs> you know, it's it's totally different. A woman cannot do what a man uh, can do for us a father. I seen the difference. I seen the difference in my my brother. I seen the difference in myself. You know, all my dad had to do was give us a look. You know, that was it, and then game over. You know, yep, but yep. um, Amen. but my I mom, know that look, you that know that look. <laughs> but the mom, eh, she just gonna talk a little bit, and eh, and then it's gonna be over with. You know. But and he and he understood that we understood that. And yeah, that time period is brief that they can discipline. But then when he had that growth spurt, like you said, you it was no way she can discipline him. It was more so she had to we were like, I would say almost prisoners in our own home, mm-hmm. you know. That's what you see. Yeah. My daughter sent a meme to me the other day and is it, it it had two photos side by side on it and showed one 
a drill sergeant, you know, <laughs> yelling and you know, like mm-hmm. you know, standing at yelling. And then the other one was the same guy, but in a different. It was movie. It was movie character. Same mm-hmm. guy in a different character, you know, with you know, with candy and stuff like this. Right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she, the the caption said, "This was my dad when we were growing up. This is my dad with the grandkids." <laughs> uh-huh. That's true. That's true. They're they're much different with the grandkids. <laughs> and I had to agree. I say, "Yep." <laughs> I don't know why we just fall in love with our, you know, even the grandmas. We even worse. Well, because us. we can give them back when we're tired. Yeah, we don't have to do all that. We don't have to do all that. Yeah, so. amen, amen. Well, let's talk about church influence. Do you feel the church has failed in this area that we're talking about? I think so, because it's um, it's a big social issue that I don't see being addressed. You know, most even in the church, mostly you see is women. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't see many men in the church, especially in um, these offices, and it's all female all the time. And I think it's it's really having a really bad impact. Um, I would like to see more males step in, and and um, and also like the churches. I described it in one of the scenes like a it's a social club. It's a place where you go socialize and. You don't um, hold anybody accountable um, to toe the line. It's it's like ignored. Um, it's no church discipline either. So it's no authority there either. So, you know, the pastors are not seen as an authority figure. They just seen as some, I guess, a spokesperson to get up and say a few things. And, <laughs> then, yeah. you know, well, I've we, seen in your book where you discuss the fact that uh, churches are failing to address sin in the community. Uh, Explain it, that for us. It's um because because of that, and I, that's what I see that, that because they don't talk about sin and what it looks like. You know, they'll just mention it, but it's like they, uh, you know, what I find is people don't know what it looks like practically when they see sin. They're like all this crime and all this stuff. Like I connect the dots in the book. That's a product. That's a result of sin. It's sin. It starts with sin. And what you're seeing here is not guns and bullying. Um, you know, they're hitting all these other things like, um, you know, but sin is the driver, you know, of those vehicles that's doing that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Amen. And they're, you know, I know. I've seen this in a lot of churches. And if you question the pastor about it, I say, you know, if I start preaching on sinful lifestyles, sinful choices, people aren't going to come back. They want to come to church to feel good. <laughs> and, you know, and to me, that is like the opposite of what I read in the Bible. The Bible saying, don't do that or this will happen. But you can come to me for forgiveness and change how you're living and all these blessings await you, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and but you know, I mean, I had one guest this a couple of years ago, I can't remember the name right now, 
And he said he was he's a black guy, but he said, mm-hmm. you know, the church leadership, especially in the African American community, since we were discussing this, mm-hmm. has sided up with the politicians for political favors and monetary favors Ooh. and and mm-hmm. social status, you know, because they want to be, oh, you're friends with congressman so-and-so type thing, right? And uh, he said, this has led to the watering down of the gospel, directly to the watering down of the gospel and actually caring for the members of the church. He said, all of this, coupled with the social programs aimed at destroying the family unit in favor of the government as your provider, as as you were talking about, has actually worked to the opposite effect of their intentions. And and do you see that as well? Oh, so those are facts. Uh, And that's exactly what he told you, what's going on, that you see a lot of the leadership, you know, they want, you know, they have the itching ears. The people in the audience have Mm -hmm. the itching ears and they need the funding. And then you have also, too, a lot of the churches are government funded. They got this tax thing. They don't want to offend about talking about social issues you know about sin and the impacts because they're threatened with losing their you know their tax mm-hmm. write off so you have that double effect um i will point out not all pastors and churches right. are like that yeah. but a good good um you know a good portion of it is that that's why when you see these crimes go on you don't see uh churches stepping out like they should you know when those riots were just happening in Chicago you know i did hear about some pastors possibly getting out i didn't see it but it should be way more prevalent they should be coming out and um actually coming alongside mothers and single mothers and doing more for the family and more teaching about family oriented stuff instead of, you know, just taking authority and, and just having, you know, being salt in life instead of letting this stuff go on. Amen. Yeah. (laughs) Because you mentioned that going out in the middle of the riots. I remember (laughs) there was a, a, when we had the riots in Baltimore, this mother seen her son, you know, they were doing live shots, you know, and stuff, seen her son down there. She went down there, found him, mm-hmm. grabbed him by the ear, started pulling him back home. He was, he was, you know, she was a little, you know, like five foot two and he's a six foot tall. She got him by the ear. He's bent down. <laughs> and it was live on the news. Oh, She's wow. dragging him back home. I was like, you know, he's going to be ribbed. Oh, boy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, he's never living that down. That's going to be played over and over again. It was. It was out of all the social media <laughs> stuff. <laughs> But that's that's what you need, though. That's that's what we call old school raising. You know, uh, like I like to quote, um, you know, um, uh, I like Adrian Rogers, but also um, what did he say? Um, I can't remember the name. Yeah, he said uh, putting the rod of correction on the 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 board. No, putting the board. Yeah. The rod of correction on the board of knowledge or board of knowledge against. I can't say it right. Let me just quit it. I'm going to mess it all up. But anyway, it's just going back to that old school and and the schools are different. Before we used to get paddled at school and come home and get another and get Mm, another. Because they call your daddy. (laughs) 
Ding, we were we were just like, please don't call. You know, we we were just wanted that one. And rather when they get home, they are you you getting mad at home with the same practice. Mm-hmm. So they yep. stuck together. So amen. Yeah, I, I remember them days, you know. So not only did I get the paddle at school, at school, then I knew what and, was coming when I got home and got <laughs> home and got another one. You just amen. begged the teacher, they weren't hearing it though. <laughs> that's why you know my kids you know parent teacher conferences they hated those days because mm-hmm. I, i'd tell the teacher in front of them <laughs> mm-hmm. so if they act up you deal with it i support mm-hmm. you 100 and yeah. call me because when they get home i'm gonna deal with it too mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're, yeah. they're sitting there yelling <laughs> yeah it wasn't such thing as what they doing now he's like what and i mentioned that stuff we didn't have no privacy in our rooms you know you know how they say what you coming in my room for mm-hmm. you know we couldn't have no closed doors like that nope my daughter tried locking the door one time i broke it off the the, the door frame there's a bam <laughs> what are you doing in here that broke my door yeah now you can't lock it <laughs> I know. That's why I didn't we fix it for like a year. <laughs> that's what you do. That's why I, I frown up. I'm like, what are they talking about? They didn't know what they had in their room. We, they, our parents knew everything. They had, they had that. My mom had that mother hearing too. And, you know, <laughs> she had, I talk about that. She had, she was eyes in the back of her head. <laughs> she had that Don't multi. That. <laughs> she would throw that shoe. And I told her, well, Miss a B, why she on the phone? You know, you think you about to do <laughs> she be to throw the shoe at you. You'd be like, how did she even know that yeah, I was man. doing stuff then? But yeah, it was it's totally different how they raise kids. You ain't lying. Hey, Amen. Praise God. Now you're bringing back some childhood memories. Man. I know. <laughs> These kids well, back got on the made. topic of your book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, prisoner's pardon. I read in one instance, you asked your brother. Why do you keep doing these things? And his response, because he thought he could get away with it. And how wow. true that <laughs> statement is, not just for criminals, but us as well. I mean, mm-hmm. whenever we do something that we know is wrong in God's eyes, it's because A, we want to, and B, we think we can get away with it. Often it's just because we'll tell ourselves, well, I'll ask for forgiveness later. Yeah. Same Can thing. you shed some light on that for us? Yeah, it was like after he kept getting caught doing stuff. And at that time, my mother's whoopings wasn't doing any good. How how many times she whoop him and spank him or however you want to say it. <laughs> but um, it just didn't help. And, he, and I wanted to know, like, why do you keep doing this? And when he said that, it was like the most... Um, honest answer he ever gave me. It was, I knew then it was like, he just dropped a bomb on me. It was like, I knew that was totally impactful. And I'm like, but you keep getting caught though. Yeah. How do you, how do you think you're getting away? What do you keep going to jail? <laughs> so yeah. his, he's, but he's still living it out. And we do the same thing as well. What I found out, you know, spiritually, like, you know, I have a twin and after looking at his rap sheet, and what I found was a lot of stuff that I did lined up with the same time he did stuff. I almost mm-hmm. called the book Twin Sins at first, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm like, 
but this is the same. We, I, I thought I was the good one, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know how we all think we the good one. <laughs> well, I, I know I was. <laughs> <laughs> it's he the bad twin, but come to find out, it was just as bad and probably worse. You know, you know why? Because I wasn't getting caught. You know, I wasn't. You know, getting uh, sent to prison. I and mean, what was happening was I was setting up myself for the end time where everything gonna come out, which you don't want. You want to find out before that time. But yeah, he he said he can get away with it. And then also, I was thinking I could fix it. So that's another big thing that was happening, which we all try to do. We think we can fix ourselves. We think we can fix other people. And and that brought that to light, especially with, um, you know, the in, in the Black community, we have, and it's all, everywhere, the, the, the boys, they want to... Uh, get away with things. They end up going to prison. And the women, we think we can fix it, you know? And you see a lot of domestics and everything. You see a lot of women staying with men because of, you know, that breakdown, because they think they can fix these men and stuff. And it, it, that comes from a father not in the home too. That's the result of it as well. Amen. Amen. I remember I asked my dad one time why he kept doing that stuff. And he said, well, it's only illegal if you get caught. My problem is I keep getting caught. I know. <laughs> I know. In your book, you present a very compelling example of what happens when a person represents themselves in a court of law. And I have to admit, I had never looked at our salvation from that perspective like you laid out. As believers, we have our advocate willing to represent us. But could you go over that part of your book for us? About us willing, you know, wanting to represent ourselves. Mm. And um, you find that a lot in the um, criminal environment, but also in our environment, too. You know, they want to represent themselves. They they have this law library, you know, um, in the in the prisons. And we have outside um, probably Google or science, human science or whatever you want to look at. And we try to represent ourselves using that, but, and he, he would always try to represent himself in all, all the time, at least the last few times he got slammed, you know, and that's what happens to us is we represent ourselves. We'll get slammed and not allowing God to represent us. So, um, and I found that chapter real, you know, the most difficult to write because it is a different view. And trying to spell it out that we are all in a case, an actual case, and we're condemned already, whether we know it or not, until we get this reconciliation with God, which is the pardon. Um, and we have to accept it to get a pardon, just like any pardon. Um, if you reject it, you don't get it regardless if it's there or not. But um, anyway, so he, with him representing himself, he rejected the opportunity of a plea deal, which when we get offered salvation through Christ, this is a plea deal. <laughs> like, yeah, so, um, and that's what happened. If you don't accept it, you, you, you going on your evidence, you have to go to trial now and you got to, you know, defend yourself. And you know, if you've been in jail and if you go to court, if you go that route, you're going to get slammed if they find you guilty. 
and versus them giving you, well, I'll, I'll give you this much if you take this plea deal, you know, sort of thing. So when you represent yourself, you take that, that risk and all, all the time. I usually think they, they get slammed, they lose the case. Yeah. Yep. Amen. That's so true. You know, and, and I love that concept about us trying to represent ourselves before God at the judgment seat, you know, where we had an opportunity to use our advocate. Yes. Who would tell God, just let him go. He's okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, forgive it. We would receive a pardon on everything. You know? I know. And it's so we the ones as humans that I see that we the one, we are the ones that complicate stuff. He made it very simple, you know, accept the plea deal. He's going to do the work. Mm -hmm. But what we do, we reject that. It's almost like, you know, the feminists too. You can look at it spiritual and be like, you know, God, don't open no door for me. I got this, <laughs> you know, yeah, you yeah, know, I'm yeah. like, I want you to open all the doors for me, Lord. And that's the same thing what we, we're doing there. We're acting like okay, no, I don't need you to do it. I can do it myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen. And I love that concept. And it, it's such an important concept. I, I think it's going to be a great topic to preach on soon. Amen. I, okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That, I think it's going to be amazing. Um, yeah. And that's yeah. why I want this uh, book to be well received because I want people to see sin because sin is not just a spiritual thing. It is legal because what Christ did on the cross was legal. So we need to understand um, the the ram what that actually means and that's what's coming out in a book what does that mean because we we talk about Christ all the time you know people know about Christianity but do you know what it means and this kind of lays it out really plainly the legal yeah. way what's going on yeah amen so why is a pardon the only solution <laughs> because we can't pay the debt you know it's too high you know God wants perfection. We can never um, get to that point. Only through Christ are we perfected. And we were all born in sin. You know, a slave can't free itself. It has to have a savior. So, and that's what he's done. Amen. And you share a lot about the family offering forgiveness. Is that the only way to really repair the damage done to the family when a loved one's locked up for a crime? Yes, because it is a debt and you have to take responsibility and recognize that um, you need forgiveness. And once you do recognize that, you know, and first with um, Christ, with God, getting that forgiveness and he automatically convicts you in your heart that you need to also do, it's almost like what we call restitution in the legal world as well. And if you notice in the courtrooms too, they give you a chance, like the criminal, you know, the defendant before sentencing, do you want to say any last words? And that means a lot right then and there on how much they're going to get sentenced. And do they, do they um, look like they are repenting, that they're sorry and they want forgiveness? It's, it's very impactful. And um, many people miss that opportunity. It's, it's, it's unreal. Some of us sometimes how we would even resist. We will just hold on to it with pride mm -hmm. and not in, cause that's what it is. It's pride. You don't want to humble yourself and ask for forgiveness. 
Yeah. Amen. Amen. And, and throughout your book, you discuss a concept you discovered in the Bible invo- involving Joseph and a couple other prisoners that he was <laughs> sharing some time with. Can, share that concept with us on a pardon. Yes. Um, I discovered it. It's been in there a long time, you know, <laughs> But um, <laughs> in Genesis 40. Uh, I'm like that too. Since I'll be reading say, wow. I've read yeah. That. Isn't wow. it? <laughs> I know it. It came after I actually, you know, I went to God about it because I didn't even think God worked on social issues at first. I thought He was just more spiritual issues. I don't know. <laughs> so I had to, and He pointed it out and like, no, Michelle, you know, I do work on this stuff too. Once you ask me, so and then it popped out prison. I'm like, what does is he talking about prison? Then it was like, okay. He was in prison with the butler and baker, Joseph was. And you know what? I was looking at him like, how did the butler get out? The butler was freed. And if you know anything about that culture, then that's a miracle that he got freed. So how did he get free? How how could someone on the inside, he, he couldn't have done it. He couldn't have saved himself because if you know prisoners, when they locked up, they call you for everything. I need some of this. You know, could you call this person for me? They can't do nothing, let alone be able to save themselves. So it wasn't that. And like I said, I was um, at church and I was listening to some hymns. You know, it's a lot of hymns and it's just like Psalms. And the answer was in there. It was a pardon. That's the only thing that makes sense because. The butler was restored back. And with a pardon, you get a lot of your rights back. It restores things. It puts it back the way it was, just as if it never happened. So, and that's the only logical thing that could have been. It had to be a pardon, a forgiveness. And, you know, it's all through the story, you know, um, looking at the parables and everything about the rich man, you know, uh, about the king that forgave the man his debt, and then he forgave him his debt. And that's what happened with the butler. He was forgiven. And so he can go back to what, you know, he originally did, which you see in the story in Genesis 40. So that's how I discovered, I was like, pardon. And it, you know, and I had to keep looking at it because nobody thinks about a pardon when we're talking about prison reform. (laughs) Yeah. Amen. Amen. That's so true. And your podcast is also titled A Prisoner's Pardon, correct? Correct. Okay. Share a bit about your podcast as we get ready to wrap up. Okay. So um, it's a weekly podcast and I talk about the physical prison, not just the physical, but the spiritual and mental, because you really have to start with the spiritual and mental before you get to the physical anyway. So I would start to point out those, you know, factors and get people more aware and being on alert to those things. Um, we we tend to think that only uh, only about physical prisons, but we don't think about the issues that we go through, like the things that I was going through, why I couldn't get past certain things, why I couldn't fulfill. It was like I was paralyzed too, which was meaning I was in a prison as well. So I bring to the forefront things like that, like, you know, grief. I just did my latest episode, you know, on grief, on how it can get you into a sort of spiritual prison because you feel isolated and and you're in a dark place and you don't want to be around people because you may have lost a loved one or something like that. That's a prison as well. So I want people to make those, those connections 
and understand that. So that's what we talk about on the show, physical prisons, as well as mental and spiritual ones. Man, amen. That's so good. Now, one thing I read in your book, and I got one more question for you. And when Uh-oh. I read this, I was like, oh, that brings back so many memories. And I want you to explain why you put something in your book about spam and fried <laughs> rice. Oh, I was like, because I was, I, that's what I was cooking in. And it's just, you know, the funny, it's funny that you bring that up. Like you out of the whole book, you, you, you picked up that, but I thought it was hilarious as I was, and then I'm cooking some spam, right? And then I get a call on my phone and I saw the caller idea of spam risk. I'm like, well, how did they know what I was eating? <laughs> but, you know, it is a risk of eating spam. It can have a whole lot of sodium and stuff. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that's what I was just talking about normal things that I was I would cook. And that did happen. So I bring real life things in. I think life is drama. (laughs) Amen. Well, you mentioned about, you know, it was good enough for the military. It's good (laughs) enough for you. And I I, I just started like, hey. (laughs) (laughs) So that loves that. We loved our spam. (laughs) Okay. What's wrong with spam? You know, nothing. My wife still uses it. I know. I do too. You know, so I'm glad you like that being from the military, being in the military and all. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Well, how can someone obtain a copy of your book, A Prisoner's Pardon? Is it on Amazon? Oh yeah. It just came out today. Praise the Lord. Yes, it is. In ebook form and in paperback. Uh, I will have the audible coming out in a couple of weeks. It had just, you know, takes a little longer for a review of that. So that's going to be awesome. I actually did the recording. So Amen. you hear my voice and you hear me laughing, you know, you know, I <laughs> laugh a lot, <laughs> you know, doing that. And I did get past that spam thing and, and many other kind of <laughs> hilarious stories. I'm sure mm. you're going to enjoy. Mm. So, Amen. yeah, so really good stuff out there. So it's on Amen. Amazon. All right. If someone wanted to reach out to you, ask a question, maybe do it like this. How can they do that? How can someone get in touch with you? Oh, very easy. Just go to, um, you can hit me on my email, which is Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E at prisonerspardon.com. Or you can go to my website uh, at Kingdom Princess Pen. That's P-E-N.com. So it's Kingdom Princess Pen. I'll put links to all that down in the show note below. Praise the Lord. Folks, I've known Michelle for several years now. I mean, she is a straight shooter who is passionate about her topic, as you can tell. She's lived it. Everything she shared with us today Mm -hmm. is straight from the heart. I encourage you, drop down the show notes, get in touch with Michelle right now while you're thinking about it. And don't forget to click the links to her books. I'm going to put the link. We we talked about the the Pharaoh and the Butler and Baker last time. But I'm going to put the links to both books down there. You need to be able to order these right now. And buy a couple for your church. Get one to your pastor. I can guarantee he's going to appreciate it. And <laughs> it might he might know someone who it will he will be able to encourage with it as well. So be sure to order, order your books right now. Order more than one copy. Order three, four. Pass them out. If you have a Bible study or a book club, 
this would be a good topic to discuss because these are things happening right now in the families, in the in the communities, in the neighborhoods. This is a very important topic. And I know you know someone that could use this information and encouragement right now. Be sure to click the link to our podcast below as well. I highly, highly encourage you to subscribe to our podcast so you'll be notified as soon as new episodes drop. Amen. Be sure to share the link on our podcast with those who you know could use a word of encouragement in this area as well. Michelle, thank you again for coming on the program today and and catching up on how things have been going. I am so blessed and so proud that you and all that you've accomplished. You finally got this book published. Finally. (laughs) That's awesome. That is awesome. Amen. Folks, that's all the time we have for today. For Michelle Jacks, myself, this is Pastor Bob Romani to be blessed. You have been listening to the Faith-Based Business Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. We appreciate you as a listener and fellow believer and want to encourage you in your entrepreneurial efforts. These programs are designed to provide you with information that you can use in your business to achieve success faster and avoid the obstacles that try to impede your success. All information on this podcast is for entertainment and information use only. Some of the products and services listed in the links may contain affiliate links and Pastor Bob will earn a small commission when you click those links at no additional cost to you. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll be notified when our next episode is published. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Are you a Christian entrepreneur, coach, or author with a message that needs to be heard? Picture this, your voice reaching thousands, your story inspiring hearts, and your business flourishing like never before. Introducing Faithcasters, the ultimate platform that connects faith-driven professionals like you with the power of podcasting. Become a sought-after guest on Faith-Based Podcast. Share your unique insights and connect with like-minded individuals who share your passion for faith and entrepreneurship as well. Imagine your expertise reaching a wider audience, expanding your network, and propelling your business to new heights. Well, it's all within reach with Faithcasters. So don't wait. Take the first step today on your journey to greatness by visiting our website at faithcaster.org. That's faithcaster.org. Join the Faithcasters community now and unleash the full potential of your faith-driven enterprise. You do not want to miss this opportunity. Faithcasters, where faith meets podcasting and your dreams become reality. Visit faithcaster.org. Let's soar together. And remember, anyone can be a podcaster, but only a Christian can become a faithcaster. Faithcasters, your voice, your platform, your success.